Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Okay, you want to talk about The Blacklist? I would love to talk about The Blacklist. Now, you're already watching season two. Oh, I, 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 I've finished season See, two. See, I mean, this just goes to show you're always light years ahead of me, but I'm proud to report that last night I saw the pilot okay. to The Blacklist, yeah. last season's pilot. Well, it, it, it almost doesn't matter because I, I'm not sure that there's a real progression here. Really what it is is about watching Bateman in action. Is that not his name? <laughs> James Spader? Yes. Okay. Well, that's why I'm here. I know we're the tortoise and the hare, but yes, James Spader, who, of course, I remember from Sex, Lies, and Videotape. I, don't, I mean, he I goes way, the, way back. Yeah, I didn't see the movie. I think yeah. the man is a genius at timing, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, his facial expressions, everything about him is just so moving. A little bit crazy, a little bit dangerous, but also totally dependable and consistent and just great quality, a combination of great qualities that make him never boring and ever, Mm -hmm. ever, ever intelligent and interesting. He is very watchable and he does that, he goes right up to that border of likable and creepy at the same time. Did you like him in Boston Legal? I loved his dynamic with William Shatner. Uh I loved how they would share that cigar or each have their own cigar, you know, on the balcony at the end of the show their little bromance. I thought that show had a lot of humor and I thought the two of them working together was just terrific. Well, it's funny because he was so much younger then. And so now it's almost like you don't really recognize him in these two separate characters, but they have a lot of the same qualities. Mm-hmm. A little bit crazy, yeah. but dependable and all mm-hmm. of those, you know, those amazing things. Smart, but potentially yeah. erratic. Now, yes. It's so funny. I was trying to think of a movie I could put him in. Like uh, and I couldn't find one. Even though I first saw him in Sex Lies and well, Videotape. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, a movie of the last five oh, years. Oh, did let's you ever say. see him in that Susan Sarandon movie? Was no. it White Knights? It was kind of a cougar. Well, he wasn't movie. in White Knights. Was um, oh, was, was that, that Gregory about... Hines and Mikhail yes, Bershnikov? It was. Okay, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to IMDb it. Yeah, but uh, I just feel like I, I, you know, usually when I love an actor on TV, I can think of a movie. Oh my gosh, they should have cast him in this, or they should have cast him in that. And to tell you the truth, he doesn't really have leading man capability in an hour and a half show. Well, it's interesting to me because he's such a good character actor that... Is that what it is? Well, in all fairness now, I feel as though movies are skewing more towards superhero roles. Mm. And because he's got so much intelligence and always portrays characters who I want to stay with for episode after episode, season after season... I think he has a lot of longevity. Oh, that's interesting. He could have been in any of the Batman or any of those series. I think or he'd make Spider-Man. a great Joker. You the know? Joker, yes. He could have been the Joker. He probably would have loved the role. Now, can we talk about him personally a little bit? Well, sure. I, be, not that I know him personally, but it won't I keep know, me from talking about him. he's a little bit, you know, he doesn't do the typical Hollywood stuff. He stays away from all of that. Uh, okay, White Palace was the name of the movie with Susan Sarandon and James Spader. Oh, you know what? 1990. Was, okay, well, that was a bit of, a bit of while ago. He played Max Barron. Okay. Yes. That was 24 years ago. Well, he played a 27-year-old. Okay, put him in a movie today. Huh. Um, I can't even think of my choices for what movie exactly. I would be casting for. Yeah, but you can take any other TV actor and you can put him in a movie. You can. You know, there's a, there's a thing about them that places them. And maybe you're right. The Joker is a great, great, great idea of where to put him. But I love that he gets to be with us once a week for 26 weeks, twice a year, mm-hmm. etc. I could see him in a movie like Michael Clayton, where he could play uh, some kind of interesting lawyer. Uh-huh. To me, that would be interesting to watch. Uh-huh. 
Would you I, have liked I, him actually, in The Judge? Would he have been better, in the ju- that, better see, than the Robert Downey you did not I like? I swear, you just take these thoughts right out of my head. Um, I think I would have preferred James Spader in The Judge. As which part? As the Robert Downey Jr. character. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I think he could have pulled it off. Now the question mm-hmm. is, does he want those roles? That's a very good question. Yeah. You know. I, I, I he couldn't. says he's in it for the money. That's what he says. Oh, really? Yeah, I read an, I, you know, to prepare for this, I read a couple of interviews. Not in an ironic way. Like in no, a... I think, he, you know, I don't think, I don't think acting to him is about the, about the stardom. It's about the money and the work. Well, and he won't take roles he doesn't want. You know, he, he's very careful about what he takes. Along those lines, I thought you would appreciate this as someone who is not exactly a fan of yoga. Unlike myself, um, James Spader said many years ago when he was in L.A. and trying to get by, he took a job as a yoga instructor, and he had no yoga training. So he said he relied on his voice, he rolled out his mat, and he did a lot of holding of poses and having people close their eyes. You know, he said half the time he was napping. Okay, that makes sense. I think you would yeah. like him for that. Yeah, I you do know? like him for that. Yes, Although he wouldn't have gone the, to the class, but I like him for it. And the yeah. clip was called something like The Great Yoga Heist or something like that. Now, do you like the premise of the... Of the show, which by the way is so outrageous, it could never happen, and nobody cares. You know, well, it's interesting because I know you have held me to account for this before, and you can just do the equivalent of whatever a verbal slap is. But I have confessed to you that I have still never seen Silence of the Lambs. I feel as though I've had the because, great, great drama of all know, time, and yeah. a good I friend want to of mine, be Clarice. She's <laughs> Wait, is that the one who eats other people's flesh? No, she's the one who oh, solves that's, the... Oh, my that's God, Jody she's Jodie Foster. Foster. Okay, and Jody I have to Foster's tell you, Clarice. I have a, okay. a, 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 two gay men who are a couple that are friends of mine. We all saw it together, and they knew that I fell madly for Clarice, so they only call me Clarice. And I have an um, apron with Clarice on it that they really? gave me for Christmas. Interesting. Yeah. I think she's a great, great character. And one of the early wonderful female characters of strength. Well, see, I did have a friend who saw it on opening night, came and told me about it the next day, and her synopsis took longer than the movie itself. So it was probably a portent of my future love of audiobooks. Um, but it reminded me of Silence of the Lambs, that you had a young woman, it's her first day at work as a profiler, um, she's right out of Quantico, and then you've got James Spader, who is how I think I would imagine Anthony Hopkins being in the role of Silence of the Lambs. Oh, where, that's interesting. You know, now, by the way, oh my God, he could have played that role. He could have been the, oh my God, he would have, you know, Dr. Lecter, he could have definitely pulled that a, off. In fact, movie. perhaps even better than Anthony Hopkins, who was great, mm-hmm. but Spader is a little more believable as a truly crazy person. Mm-hmm. You know? I could picture him yep. making the smacking uh, sound with his lips. That's a great, lips. great, great connection, you know? I think. But mm-hmm. the show itself, you know, I, I feel like it doesn't really center around him as much as it centers around the relationships that are not to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think his love of her is so... Uh, I, I think it's really a beautiful love. It, he cares more about her than what she thinks of him. Oh, and as a parent myself, I can say that's one of the great challenges is to care more about the child than what they think of you. Oh. And he really does that in an amazing, you know, he's, it's a great parent. I mean, look, it's exaggerated. It's not okay. Some of the stuff he does is not okay. But he's, you know, he's on her team. He's got her back. And, 
you know, the reason he went, he the reason he turned himself in was really to sort of keep an eye on her, I think. So Andrew's like, I know I'm a little late to this party, but an actor who just came across my radar is Ryan Eggold, who plays her husband. And again, I thought that was a very interesting subplot in terms of was he a bad guy? Well, is he's he her a, husband in the first episode. He's her husband in the first episode. And I just saw on Netflix a movie called Lucky Them, um, starring Tony Collette, um, Oliver Platt, a brunette Nina Arianda, who I hmm. love, the Tony winner who was in Venus and Fur, of course. Um, and the director of Lucky Them said that she cast Ryan Eggold off his video audition. So he submitted a video. He plays a musician in the movie. He sang. He was so just likable. And I was I was very happy to see him in the pilot of The Blacklist. Well, that's nice because you'll see some versatility in his his role is not an easy role to play, and mm-hmm. um, you know, he has to be compelling, but also perhaps evil. Right. And yeah, I, th- I think he does a really good job. I, I think it was really well cast. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nobody on there that doesn't belong there. There's nobody that stands out as somebody who's like really, you know. Right. And, and she is not a perfect person. I love I mm-hmm. love when they're casting women that could look like you or me. You know, <laughs> whatever it is that we look like. <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, in other words, they're not people who, you know, you would you would not notice her on the street, you know, unless there was a sign saying I'm on blacklist. See, you, you have very high standards. Yeah. See, I don't know. I, I think we'd probably notice her. I don't think I would. You don't think you I would? I think she fits right in, and I like, I like that about her. I do. Um, and I was very glad to see the guy who played Mike on Homeland is on the blacklist. I Mike? Thought, Who's Mike? Um, Mike was the best friend on Homeland oh, who right, 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 right. had fallen in oh, love with God, the wife. Oh, my God, I didn't even recognize. Yes, that's him. Yes. You're right. And I thought he brought a lot to the character of the wife on Homeland, mm-hmm. where without him and without that relationship, I thought her part just suffered terribly, where she was just relegated to making lunch behind a counter. Um, but, yeah, I was happy to see that he landed on the blacklist. Um, yeah, I also don't like the name of it. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a good name for what it is. And um, I would not have known what the show was about. Yeah, you know. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you've only watched. One, I mean, I, I we can't even really get into the so, whole structure of the episodes and everything. But again, I th- I don't think it matters because I don't think there's an episode that stands out. They're really it's it's a formulaic show where every every episode has the same formula behind it. A bad guy shows up at the beginning, you see the evil that they do, and then they solve the crime, and he's behind, you know, this, you know, he's behind her trying to make sure she's the best she can be, and she has, you know, great um, concern about how she feels about this guy. I mean, it's, you know, so it's the same in every episode. It just builds, 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 so. And do you know yet why it is that he turned? That yes, he, you know everything. Oh, you know everything. Yeah. Interesting, but you don't. Some of it you don't know until the end of season two. Some well, of things don't in, come out. In the pilot, I thought it was well done, where he's looking at that not a vision board, but where they've got all the evidence on the wall in a typical way. So visually, we can see um, suspects and and their train of thought. Um, where when at first he was asking her questions, he said, "No, you're thinking like a prosecutor. You've got to think like a criminal." And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that no, he provides it, that dialogue aspect. is excellent. Not mm-hmm. a lot of wasted words, which you know matter a lot. So I think it's really good. They did some great aerial shots. So visually when he walks in at the very beginning and just, you know, um, kneels down and you see it from above with the whole logo of the CIA. Didn't it make you want to walk into the CIA and kneel down just to see what would happen? It did. It really did. I know. Mm -hmm. I know. And have you ever been to CIA headquarters? You know, I have not. Okay. Well, there, it's actually looks like that. Nor have I been brought in. 
So that's um, probably well, there a good we go. thing. I'm not telling you why I was there, but <laughs> at any rate, it does look like that. So you know, and people do cross over, and there is the wall of of stars that you know that represent those that you can't name, that um, have gone down oh. that you see in Homeland, and you know, it's they try to I think make that stuff true to life. But yet again, you know, another show, and we talked about this in another episode of um, of our podcast. Uh, you know, that takes place through the CIA. The CIA mm-hmm. is, you know, in the top of everybody's head. Right. And the fact that they win every episode, <laughs> I think is a mistake. You know, yeah. I think every now and then they shouldn't catch the guy. Interesting. You know, every single one. And I, I mean, that's not even a spoiler because it's obvious. Every single episode, mm-hmm. the guy gets caught in the end. And maybe it's so we can all sleep better at night thinking people are actually getting caught when probably they aren't. <laughs> but I think... You know, we just can't have these formulas that lull Americans into a sense of of comfort that really is not accurate. Sometimes you don't win, and it should wow. be stated. Sometimes people die, and you don't win. Do you feel like it's a throwback to the Hitchcockian era and the rules of TV then that you could not show a murderer getting away with it? I didn't know that was a rule then. Yeah, that's why Hitchcock always had to step back onto his own program at the end with a little epilogue saying, you know, this man was caught and Well, I I think it's true in romantic comedies. I think that's why divorce got right. I do. I think divorce was made worse by the fact that you could watch When Harry Met Sally, and if it didn't feel like that when you went home to your husband, you didn't want to be there. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, I do think it gives this false sense of what our lives should be like, and certainly... We should know that every crime doesn't get solved in every episode. And, and Blue Collar has the same problem. I mean, they all have the same problem. So. But that's probably why it's called entertainment. Maybe. And not the news. Well, if we thought of it as entertainment, that would be one thing, but I don't think we do. Are you I think it's bigger. Yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. bigger. I think Americans watch these shows and they do go to sleep thinking, okay, all's well with the world, you know. Hmm. 